0: Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. Today we finish our lengthy journey through 1 Kings chapter 8, a long but very significant chapter, and make our way into the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 9. Of course, uh, most of what we've read in 1 Kings so far has been about the transition from the kingdom of David, uh, David reigning as king to the kingdom being handed over to his son Solomon and God giving unusual and exceptional wisdom to Solomon and then Solomon uh, building the temple uh, to replace the tabernacle as the dwelling place of God, building it there in Jerusalem in fulfillment of God's promise to David Uh, that not only would he have a son of his own to sit on his throne and his his kingdom be established forever, but also that his son would build the temple. And we've seen again and again references to God's faithfulness to that promise that he made to David uh, being shown in the kingdom and work of Solomon. And so then in chapter eight, there was a massive um dedication of the temple a prayer of solomon to the lord about the temple uh solomon blessing the people there at the temple and that brings us up to first kings chapter 8 verse 62 and we'll work our way down to chapter 9 verse 9 verse 62 says then the king and all israel with him offered sacrifice before the lord Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the peace offerings. So, of course, this is no surprise that a part of the dedication of the temple would include uh, significant sacrifices. Now, of course, there were sacrifices Required to be offered daily at the tabernacle and then at the temple, there were sacrifices required for special seasons and celebrations. This is a day of extravagant sacrifice: thousands, twenty-two thousand oxen, a hundred and twenty thousand sheep sacrificed before the Lord as they dedicate this temple. Uh, to the lord and there was so many sacrifices it says that uh, a special portion of the temple area had to be consecrated uh to handle all the sacrifices because the bronze altar uh, was not big enough to handle all the sacrifices that were offered on that day so this is a a massive uh you know not only amount of sacrifices but a massively significant moment in the history of Israel as they dedicate this temple to the Lord and then uh, picking it up in verse 65 it says so Solomon held the feast at that time and all Israel with him a great assembly from Labo Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God seven days on the eighth day he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant And to Israel his people so remember that uh, at the same time as this dedication of the temple was going on there was also the Feast of Booths when the Israelites remembered how God um, was with them in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt and they dwelt in booths and it was a week of of remembering and celebrating uh, what God did for them at that time and so that's the the feast that they've been celebrating for this week uh, while they're also there dedicating the temple So there were a great number of people there. Um, And on the eighth day, it says that Solomon sent the people home. And it says they blessed the king and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. One of the things that Solomon did as he was standing before the people, dedicating this temple, offering prayer to the Lord, blessing the people. We saw this all throughout chapter eight that he was uh, reminding the people that the things that were happening were fulfillments of God's promises. Uh, Solomon wasn't drawing attention mainly to himself, look at what I built, look at what I did, but he was pointing back to the Lord and how the Lord had promised these things to David. The Lord had said he would put David's son on his throne. The Lord had said that David's son would build the temple and those things were coming to pass because God keeps his promises, because God is faithful. And so uh, when the people went home, I'm sure they were impressed with their king, right? It says that they blessed the king, but also it says that they went home glad of heart for all the goodness the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. Meaning they were overjoyed at what God had done for them, about how God had kept his promise to David, about how God had blessed his people, and they were full of joy because of what they knew the Lord had done, because that is where Solomon had been pointing them again and again and again throughout this whole um, dedication process of the temple. Um and then moving on into chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 says as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon so the Lord had appeared to Solomon at Gibeon when he asked Solomon you know, you're the king now what do you want and Solomon asked for wisdom and the Lord gave him wisdom as well as other things that he hadn't asked for and so now we're told God appeared to him a second time, like he appeared to him at Gibeon. He appeared to Solomon, and then verse 3 says this, And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So he says to Solomon, Um. The prayer that you prayed. Remember, in, in chapter eight, he prays a lengthy, prays a lengthy prayer, saying, "God, you know, let your eyes always be on this place. I know that you're not limited to this temple. I'm under no illusion that somehow we have, you know." captured you or contained you in the temple not even the heavens can contain you but this is where your name uh dwells and so we've, I want you to, I'm asking that your name would all your assuming your eyes would always be toward this temple so that whoever prays in all these various scenarios when they pray toward this place or when they come to this place that you would hear their prayer and that you would listen and you would respond with mercy and grace and and so on and so one of the things God says to Solomon is I've heard that prayer and I'm gonna do what you asked. Right? I've heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built, so you built it for me and I have received it as for me. I have consecrated it as my dwelling place. Right? Um, I've consecrated it by putting my name there forever. My eyes, which is what Solomon was asking for over and over. Let your eyes be toward this place. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So the Lord has heard Solomon's prayer. The Lord has answered Solomon's prayer. The temple is a significant part of Israel's worship, a significant part of Israel's relationship with the Lord at this time in history. And that is by, uh, not just um, by, because of what Solomon did or what Solomon asked, but ultimately by the Lord's design right now um moving on to verse 4 god says and as for you if you will walk before me as david your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness doing according to all that i have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules then i will establish your royal throne over israel forever as i promised david your father saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This is a reminder to Solomon. Um, God has kept his promise to David. Uh, God has been faithful, and he's put Solomon on the throne, and he's allowed Solomon to build a temple, but Solomon still needs to obey. Solomon still needs to follow the Lord. Solomon still needs to uh, walk according to God's commandments and God's rules, God's law, and if he does so, Right? then his throne is going to be established forever. But, he says in verse 6, If you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for, for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. So God warns Solomon and says, if you don't keep my commandments, if you don't continue to follow me, if you don't do uh, what I've commanded you to do, or if your children don't, your descendants don't keep my commandments, if you worship other gods, if you turn away from me toward other gods, then he says, I will cut cut off Israel from the land And um, the house that I've consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. So when he says, you know, my eyes will be uh, toward this place forever. There's a condition that comes with that. That's true if you keep my commandments and you don't turn away to other gods. Now, uh, we know Solomon's. Whole story, Solomon, when he heard these words, he didn't know how his life was going to turn out, right? But we know how Solomon's life turned out. What did Solomon do? Was he faithful to the Lord, or did he turn away to other gods? He turned away to other gods. Remember, he married uh, foreign women, despite what uh, God had told him not to do, right? And those uh, foreign women turned his heart away from the Lord and toward other gods, he was not wholly faithful to the Lord, and so it, it didn't happen in Solomon's lifetime. But the rest of First and Second Kings tells the story of what was mostly a long decline, uh, a long period of unfaithfulness of turning away from the Lord, of worshiping idols. There's some bright spots in there. There are some kings who did right, uh, like Hezekiah and Josiah. Um, but by and large, many, most of the kings, um, they turned away from the Lord. They worshiped idols. They didn't lead the people of Israel toward the Lord, but away from the Lord. And they, they worshiped other gods. And so what happened? They were exiled. Assyria came in 722 B.C., and took the northern kingdoms of israel into exile and then a little over 100 years later about almost 150 years later in 586 bc the babylonians came and took the southern kingdom of judah which is where jerusalem and the temple were and they took jerusalem, they took judah into exile and they destroyed the temple so what God warned Solomon would happen if he turned away from the Lord happened because not only Solomon, but many other kings turned away from him. Uh, verse eight says, if that happens, this house, the temple, will become a heap of ruins, which is exactly what happened. The, the Babylonians uh, burned it to the ground. They destroyed it. And he says the, the, the land is going to be such that people are going to walk by and say, what happened here? Why did God do this? Why did the Lord, the God of the, of the, uh, the Hebrews, of the, the people of Israel, why did he uh, do this to the land and to this house? The end of verse 8. Um, and somebody's going to answer, verse 9, well, it's because they turned toward other gods. It wasn't because God was not stronger than the gods of the Babylonians or the gods of the Assyrians, which we know aren't real gods in the first place. It was not weakness on God's part that led to the destruction of the temple. Uh, The book of Ezekiel makes that really clear. Uh, uh, Ezekiel sees God's glory depart from the temple before it is destroyed. Uh, Nobody overcame the Lord. The Lord abandoned the house because uh, the people were uh, doing wicked things there, and they were worshiping other gods. So he left and allowed the temple to be destroyed by... um, by their enemies right Um, now what part of what he's warning against what God is warning against is um, a presumption about God's promises so this is an important distinction we should trust God's promises but we should understand them in such a way that we don't presume on God's promises so the people of Israel should trust Right, that God is going to be faithful to the promises he made to David, that there's always going to be a son on his throne, and um, you know that uh, Solomon building the temple and all that, that was part of God's promise, that his kingdom was going to be established forever. They were supposed to trust those promises, but they were not to presume upon those promises. And what I mean by that is this, they shouldn't say, you know what, even if we worship other gods, God's still going to keep his promise to David. Even if we, you know... Make idols and sacrifice on all the high places, and God will still, God still has to, you know, keep this kingdom forever. That was not part of the deal. That was not what God promised, right? And uh, in Jeremiah's day, he attacked this presumption that had grown up in the nation of Israel. In uh, Jeremiah seven uh, verses eight through ten. He says, and he's preaching at the temple. This is um, his famous temple sermon in Jeremiah 7. He's at the temple and he says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations? What he's saying there is you can't sin brazenly and then come into the temple and say, hey, we offered sacrifices. This is the house of the Lord. God's going to protect us. God's going to deliver us. Even though you have not come there with a repentant heart, repenting from your sin you go out and keep doing the same sins and yet you think that god is going to protect you and deliver you because the temple is here jeremiah says if that's the way you're thinking you got another way com- another thing coming right what actually happened was the temple was destroyed the people were judged because they refused to turn from their sin and the Book of Jeremiah ends with the destruction of the temple as well, just like second Kings do, does. They end um, covering the same period of history. Um, so uh, that was a, a, um, a misunderstanding right that they had of God's promises and of God's presence. Uh, uh, him, him being there, him putting his name in that temple and saying this is where you know, my eyes are going to be here forever didn't mean that Israel could do whatever they wanted and God would never judge them. Right? That's not the way that it works. And when we understand that and we think about uh, this warning that uh, God gave to Solomon, right, then that maybe sheds a little bit more light on what was going on when Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the Gospels. Remember that um, in Jesus' last week, he came to uh, Jerusalem and he rode in on a donkey as the promised king. And uh, there's a moment th- that week when Jesus' disciples say, oh, look at, the, look at those beautiful buildings. Look at that beautiful temple. And Jesus says to them, you see those beautiful buildings or beautiful stones or whatever? He says, not one stone is going to be left upon another. The temple is going to be destroyed. Why does he say that? I mean, Jesus is God, so we're not surprised that he knows what's going to happen. But why is that what is going to happen? It's going to happen because Jesus is God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son in the flesh. He is their God. Come to dwell among them. And how did they treat their God? They rejected Him. We have no king but Caesar, some of them said, rejecting the idea of Jesus being their king in the line of David, the promised Messiah who would reign on David's throne. They rejected Him. They turned away from their king. And so Solomon turned away and other kings turned away from God to other gods. The one God to other gods, and what happened? God said, This temple is going to be a pile of rubbish. It's going to be ruins. Jesus said the same thing You're rejecting me, your king, your Messiah, your God. You're turning away from me, and so what's going to happen to that beautiful temple? It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be judged. That was part of the deal. That was part of the promise, even all the way back to Solomon. The good news for us who Trust in Jesus, of course, is that Jesus is David's greater son. He's greater than Solomon. He's wiser than Solomon. And in Jesus, we have a better temple than Solomon's temple. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, not only when the Babylonians came and took Judah into exile um, in, seven, in uh, 586, but also a better temple than the one that was uh, there in Jesus' day, and the time of the apostles that was destroyed in 70 AD, when the Romans came and destroyed the temple. Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. He is God himself in the flesh. And as we said over and over again, right? he has sent his spirit to dwell in us so that we are now the temple of the Lord. In fact, here's the way that the apostle Peter puts it. He says that those who belong to Jesus, we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when we look back at the building and dedication of the temple that Solomon built, it's not just sort of historically interesting, it's not just interesting because it's a significant period in biblical history, although it's interesting for both of those reasons but it also helps us to think about what it means for us to belong to Jesus because we now are the temple. We now are the priests, so to speak, offering spiritual sacrifices. We are a spiritual house. We are the place where God dwells, not because we are holy in and of ourselves, but because we have been made holy by the blood of Jesus, and we have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. Amen.